Good morning. Thank you for those who've been praying for me. I've been sick the last couple weeks. I'm still in kind of a tunnel right here with my hearing, so if there's ever a a message where you want to talk to your neighbor, this is probably the one to do it, because I won't be able to hear you at all, so go for it. But I'm kidding, kids. I'm kidding. Don't do it. Pay attention. So just a couple months ago, uh, I preached through uh, the passage on Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, as I'm sure all of you remember. You have all memorized all those points. You probably watched the YouTube video multiple times, so you can have all those points memorized, right? Um, so what we're going to be doing today, as we're going to go, we've been going through Philippians 2, um, I had thought about maybe skipping over and going straight to 12 through 18, but in light of communion, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to really focus in on verses 6 through 11 of Philippians chapter 2. Uh, so you can follow along there in Philippians as we're going to get the backdrop, if we've already gotten the context of making sure that we're standing with one another, striving side by side for the faith, stride by, side by side for the gospel, joining together with one another. And he talks about how we can be unified, how we can join together, and it's having the same mind of Christ. So we're going to pick it up in Philippians chapter 2, but let's pray uh, before we get there. Lord, thank you so much for, for Christ and, and these uh, Christ-honoring songs that we are singing this morning. It really helps us to fix our hearts and fix our attention on the one who is worthy of all praise and glory. I pray that as we study these, this passage, as it's very familiar to us, um, that we'll just be again in awe, again uh, marveling at, at how great and amazing Jesus Christ is. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So just a refresher, let's look through uh, verses 1 through 5 of Philippians 2. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So there we see standing firm together, striving side by side. It comes with unity, and we're doing it being unified in one purpose, having one mind, the same humble mind of Jesus Christ that we're going to be looking here and focusing on in verses 6 through 11. So let's continue on in verse 6. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I want to encourage you this morning that this passage that we're looking at is probably not the first time you've heard it. Because you realize we're all here when we talked through it a couple months ago. But you might have heard this uh, passage preached on multiple times. Some of you might even have these verses 6 through 11 memorized where you could quote it back and you're very familiar with it. 
One of the problems with uh, going through a familiar text is that we can easily stoop into thinking, I already have this one figured out. I got it. I know this one well enough. So unless you're going to hit me with something new, I can tune out because I already know about this whole Jesus person dying on the cross and rising from the dead. I want to caution you against that. I caution you against thinking, um, I already have it done. I know it all too well. This isn't anything new, so I can um, think about other things or work on other stuff right now. But I want this time together to be a, a reflective time, especially leading up to communion. Even though these are verses that you might be very familiar with, some of you might not know these verses at all, but if you're familiar with them, I want you to really just reflect on your relationship with Jesus Christ. What is your relationship with Jesus Christ really all about? As we think about Jesus in this scenario, in this situation from these verses, how are you with Jesus? Just be encouraged and be refreshed of where you stand before God through Jesus Christ. And I hope, as we sang earlier, that you stand in awe of him. And I hope that this message is, is encouraging to you that you'll just be more in awe of your Savior, that you'll just be more in love with your Savior, more thankful for him. Um, and, and that's my desire as we lead up to this message this morning. Our big idea for this morning is that Jesus is the only one worthy to be our Savior. Again, this is not like shocking, right? You guys pretty much know this. So again, it's not meant to bring you new information here. You probably should know that Jesus is truly the only one worthy to be your Savior. I'm really enjoying uh, the Sunday school uh, uh, curriculum that we've been going through uh, with the videos because a lot of that has been some very simple truths, right? God is eternal. I think all the Calvary kids know that God is eternal, had no beginning, has no end, but it takes a simple truth, but really gets deeper. The more you flesh it out and the more you get to think about it and have the opportunities to really dive into what his eternality means, his sovereignty, and just other aspects of who God is. And I hope that's really encouraged you just as you get to know him more and more, that it just makes you love God more and more. And that's our goal for this morning, to take, again, a simple truth that we know of Jesus dying on the cross and now he's sitting at the right hand of the throne of God, but to just think about it even more and more, to let our minds maybe get a little bit deeper into knowing this truth, to help grow our love for him. So first we see in verses 6 through 8 that Jesus is your humble God-man substitute, fully God, fully man. There has never been a point when Jesus was not God. He existed and had the form of God from eternity past and will continue to be fully God into eternity future. John 1, 1 and 2, it says this, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, speaking of Jesus. Even in the fullness of deity that Jesus possessed, in the humbleness of his mind, he did not use his status as God, the Son, to usurp the will of God the Father. By not counting his equality with God, something to be grasped, something to cling to, he, he didn't say, you know what, I'm God the Son, so I don't have to do what you want me to do, God the Father. God the Father wants me to go and die on the cross, and that seems very difficult, so I don't have to do that because I am God too. So 
He didn't count it as something to be grasped, uh, this equality with God, but he humbled himself under the will of God. He said, but not my will, but yours be done. Willing to submit himself to the Father. And he didn't come to earth demanding this, this glory by smiting those who didn't worship him. Think about all the people Jesus encountered when he came to earth. People who didn't agree with him, people who were upset with him, people who beat him. He didn't just kill them all dead right then and there when they disagreed with what he said. He didn't come to sit upon an earthly throne when he came. The disciples got that one wrong. They misunderstood him. They're like, well, just take your throne. Let's overthrow these Romans. Let's take over right here and right now and be done with it. This will be good. He didn't come to do that. He didn't even reveal himself fully to the disciples in all of his glorious splendor and the people who were there that everyone could see him for who he truly was. He humbled himself and he came as taking the form of a servant. Isn't that tremendous to think about? That God the Son, fully God, came and came as a servant and humbled himself to the point of death. Have you ever used the phrase, I deserve, fill in the blank? I know I've used it many times. I deserve better circumstances. I deserve for people to treat me better because look how I treat them. I deserve to be thought of in a certain way. I've worked hard. I deserve time away. I deserve a certain thing. I deserve this. I deserve that. If we were to really think, from God's perspective of what we actually deserve, would any of those things that we say that we deserve, would that be on the list of what God would say? How prideful of us to think that we deserve this blessing and that blessing, this good thing and that good thing because of just maybe how inherently good we are. It's really proud of us to think that way. How totally contrary to the mind of Christ, where Jesus Christ, who is... Truly the only one deserving of good things, right? Lived a perfect life, totally God. Did all these wonderful miracles, healed sick, healed the sick. He, he made the lame to walk again. Someone truly deserving of all praise and glory. And guess what he did? He humbled himself to go to the cross. To take punishment, to take wrath, the wrath of God on himself. What did Jesus deserve? He didn't deserve that. Now, comparison to us, what do I deserve? What do me, Pastor Matt, what do I deserve? If we're going to be honest, I deserve eternity in hell. That's what I deserve. The wages of my sin is death. That's my payment. That's what I should get for what I deserve, the things that I have done. But through Christ, what do I get? I can have eternal life through him. I deserve death, but I can receive life. Jesus deserves life, and he received death. How does that work? What do we truly deserve? And this is where this substitute comes into play, this God-man substitute. If we deserved good things to happen to us, then Jesus wouldn't have had to come and die on a cross. But he did come and die in our place, because that's what we deserved. We deserve hell. Every breath that you take is just a gracious gift from God. Any good thing that happens to you at your workplace or with your family members, that is just a good, gracious gift from God. 
It is nothing that you deserved. It's nothing that I deserved. It is just a loving, gracious God giving good things to us. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That our sin was put on Christ and Christ's righteousness is put on us. Tell me how that's fair. <laughs> Tell me how that's something that we deserve because we earned it. We can't say that. We just sang the song, His Robes for Mine, and I, and I hope that you were paying attention to those words and it so beautifully expresses this humble God-man substitute. I'll remind us here. He says, His robes for mine, a wonderful exchange. Clothed in my sin, Christ suffered neath God's rage. Draped in his righteousness, I'm justified. In Christ I live, for in my place he died. What a great substitute we have. A great God-man substitute to take our place on the cross because if we went to the cross for our own sins, we wouldn't be able to pay for our own sins because we're sinners ourselves. The only way for our sins to be paid for is through Christ. And that's why we sing that chorus, I cling to Christ and marvel at the cost. Jesus forsaken, God estranged from God, bought by such love, my life is not my own. My praise, my all shall be for Christ alone. That's our perspective. That's what we need to be thinking about. As we think about communion, as we think about taking this Lord's table, as we come in together and just realizing, why do I do, why do I do what I do? It must be for Christ alone. He is such a great, perfect God-man substitute. He's also your highly, I should say, your highly exalted Savior. Let's look at verses 9 through 11. Therefore God has highly exalted him, bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I was always told that when you see the word therefore, you have to look back and see what it's there for. Now, we saw the humble, the ultimate humiliation of Jesus dying on the cross, his death and that on the cross. Because of his ultimate humiliation, now we see he gets the ultimate exaltation. From the lowest to the highest. And what a tremendous and perfect way that should be. <coughs> Excuse me. Think at the moment of Jesus' death, it was the first moment ever that there was not perfect fellowship between God the Father and God the Son. Those fateful words that Jesus said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Taken from that to now taken over to Colossians chapter 1. I want you all to flip over. It's just a, maybe a page or two to the right. Colossians chapter 1. We're going to read this uh, together. What I'm, but what I'm going to do is I want at the, every time you see the phrase, he is, I want you to say that with me. Okay, when we see the phrase, he is, say that with me, and then I'll just continue on reading. But we're going to see how great and awesome and how highly exalted our Savior is. Colossians chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 15. 
Colossians 1. So when we say he is, and we start out with a he is, here as we begin reading. So let's go ahead, Colossians 1, verse 15. So together, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And together, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. He is. He is our Savior. He is the one who is before all things, and all things are for him. That means we are created for him. What a truly exalted Savior he is the only one that is truly deserving of all exaltation. We're going to see later in that passage in Colossians 1, you'll see that he reconciles us back to himself, that we were once alienated, that we are apart from him. But Christ is the one through his blood, through his death on the cross, he was the one who brought us back to himself. Truly, he's the only one that has the name that is above all names. That at that name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Everyone. doesn't matter who you are. doesn't matter where you came from. All tribes and tongues and nations, all will bow before the name of Jesus Christ. Think about the power that is in the name of Jesus that causes everyone to bow. Every single person. No matter what's been in your past what's going to be in your future, everyone should bow at the name of Jesus Christ. We already spoke together that salvation belongs to our God, belongs to him, and everyone will bow before him. And everyone is going to recognize this, and I'm going to be very blunt with you, because I love you. You're either going to recognize Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and give him praise and glory now, and with the saints around the throne, or you're going to be doing that from an eternity in the lake of fire. It says every knee will bow. Every single one. It says that's what it means by saying in heaven. So right now, every knee in heaven is bowing at the name of Jesus Christ. Or you're going to bow right now on earth or under the earth. So everyone will be recognizing Jesus as Lord. Everyone will. The question is where are you going to do that? Where are you going to spend eternity recognizing Jesus as Lord? Now, this is something that's new to you. If you don't know Christ, I encourage you to come talk with me afterwards. I would love to share with you the, the true hope that there is in Christ, the salvation that does belong to our God, that this can be for you as well. And I encourage you to come speak with me afterwards. I'd love to share with you about Christ. But as we look at this passage, as we see about Jesus, this humble God-man substitute, it's a highly exalted Savior, it seems like it's really talking a lot about Jesus. There's not really a lot about us in this 
too much, just about us exalting Jesus, that we'll recognize him as Lord and Savior. But it's possible, maybe, that salvation is really all about Jesus. That maybe it's not all about us. We get some great benefits from being saved from our sins, don't we? Right? We have hope in Christ that when tragedy comes into our life, we we have a God who loves us and cares for us and we know him. There's joy that we can have even amongst trials and sufferings. Um, There's all sorts of wonderful things to be able to see God's work in a variety of people's lives. We're we're able to just have so many blessings by knowing Christ as our Savior here on earth. But we can't mistake that for thinking that salvation is really all about me. (laughs) That I'm just so awesome that God wanted to save me. Really, it's about us being made right with God again. Is that when God saves us, he doesn't save us just so we can have a happier life here on earth. He saves us so that we can glorify him, so that we can then bring our praise and our exaltation back to Jesus Christ where it should have been from the beginning. But because of our own sin, we started wanting to worship ourselves. But now through Christ, we're able to worship and glorify him. Maybe it's all about Jesus. So thinking back, Let's think back to when Jesus endured in becoming a man, taking the beatings and the mockery, being placed on the cross for something that he didn't do. Don't keep your mind there. We get to move our mind forward because even as we remember in communion, we remember the cross, we have this greater picture in mind, don't we? That Jesus is raised from the dead. He's actually sitting right now at the right hand of the throne of God, and he is victorious over sin and death. And so while we do take our communion, and we are going to focus our attention now and turn towards communion here in a couple minutes, while we do have soberness of mind as we think about the cross, we don't take the communion and remember Jesus with total sadness and just, you know, with weeping and just just with despair, but we take it knowing that the future that holds for us, the future of us being with Christ eventually, just around his throne worshiping and glorifying him and saying, salvation belongs to you. What a tremendous opportunity that we have to remember that during communion. He is not only our humble God-man substitute, but he's also our highly exalted Savior, Because of this cross, he is ours, and we are his. What a tremendous relationship we have with Christ through the cross. Let's pray. Lord, we are so humbled that you would even send Christ because of your great love for us. You would send him to the cross. You pay that ultimate penalty of death that he didn't deserve, but he took our place. He was our substitute. And now he's highly exalted. He has the name above every name. And I look forward to being with him, to just uh, face-to-face, being able to praise him for who he truly is. And as we wait for that day, as we wait for the day to sit around the throne with all the angels and the saints and the elders and the four living creatures, and just as we wait for that day to come for us, I pray that we will be exalting him with every breath that we take. We'll be exalting him through our praise, through our singing, through our attitudes, through our actions. 
and that he would just be glorified in our lives. So we're thankful for Christ, thankful we can remember what he's done for us on the cross through communion. Pray in Jesus' name, amen.